I am Robert Barrett. I am a physical therapist currently working at Lantern Park Nursing and Rehabilitation Center in Coralville. I will be discussing the evaluation techniques and balance tools we as physical therapists use to assess the elderly who are at risk for falls. I have nothing to disclose. <clears throat> My objectives are number one, to identify the, the etiology associated with falls in the elderly. Two, I want you to understand fall assessment tools and evaluation techniques we use as therapists. And three, I will discuss treatment strategies for fall prevention. There are several factors that cause falls. I will list about 10 factors and then I will talk about two of those factors. Number one, history of previous falls, impaired balance, decreased range of motion and strength, gait disorders, accidents, environmental factors, medication use, urinary incontinence, cognitive impairment, CNS lesions, and syncope. I will discuss impaired balance and decreased range of motion and strength today. Impaired balance, there are three areas that we uh, we find that uh, elderly people have that causes their balance to be impaired. Number one would be visual impairment, two, somatosensory loss, and three, vestibular problems. Regarding visual impairment, vision is the dominant input to balance, and visual disorders affecting depth perception lead to greater fall risk. Sensory loss occurs in the skin, muscle, and joint. In the skin, we talk about touch, temperature, vibration, pressure, and pain. Muscle, talking about muscle length and tension. And thirdly, joint, we speak of the angle. All of those receptors affect the, uh, the balance of a uh, each one of us. Sensory loss occurs with aging. Touch, pressure, and vibration all decrease with age. And also with illness, diabetic neuropathy, joint pathologies and loss, um, osteoarthritis, rheumatoid arthritis, total knee and total hip replacements, below the knee and above the knee amputations, and also multiple sclerosis. They all affect, uh, they all uh, usually have loss of sensation. Sensory loss causes an increased reliance on vision and the vestibular system. It decreases in standing stability. We notice in the elderly, there's, there's a usual, usually a postural sway and delayed muscle response in balance recovery. 
The vestibular system functions both as a sensory system and as a motor system. As a sensory system, the inner ear provides accurate information about the position and movement of the head in space. And as a motor system, the control or compensatory eye movements and whole body equilibrium occur during head movements, posture, and locomotion. Next, we will discuss decreased mobility and strength, how they affect balance and possible falls in the elderly. Fallers showed a significant loss of hip extension compared to non-fallers due to hip flexion contractures. As we age, we tend to sit much more than we do when we, we are younger. And when we age, the, uh, the aged have a tendency to, uh, um, or they do have more of a hip flexion contracture, knee flexion contractures, and also heel cord tightness. So when you're tight in one area, you're usually weak in the other. In other words, the, if the antagonists are strong, the agonists are weak. So we want to be able to stretch those uh, particular muscles to, uh, to improve their mobility. Strength, decreased lower extremity strength. The followers showed a significant decrease in strength of the knees and the ankles. Ankle dorsiflexion is markedly diminished which may account for postural instability and backward falls. I've also noticed in my practice that the hip abductors and extensors are often very weak in fallers. Although the causes of falls have been well documented, trying to predict who will fall is a much more complicated task. The, the measurement of muscle strength and balance can discriminate persons who are prone to fall from those who are not. Let me go over what I do as a therapist to evaluate the elderly and their risk of falling. The first thing I do is I assess their posture, then their mobility, then strength, then finally I will assess their balance. Regarding posture, postural changes, structural abnormalities, and or tight heel cords can shift the center of gravity closer to their limits of stability, especially posteriorly. This postural shift, in addition to a weaker anterior tibialis muscle, is why so many people fall backwards. This picture demonstrates good posture and a bad and bad posture. You'll notice the picture with the correct posture. If you would stand next to a plumb line, that line should bisect the ear, shoulder, hip, and lateral malleolus. Those with bad posture, this in, in this case, you see an increased lordotic curve, which is, and in turn, they usually have an increased kyphotic curve and an increased uh, cervical lordosis or forward head. When you have something like that, the spine is not balanced. You have not only the spine is not balanced, but the muscles would be 
uh, imbalanced. Next, I would assess their range of motion. I assess both passive and active range of motion. I assess for contractures and limited flexibility. <clears throat> this next slide shows the uh, range of motion statistics for different age groups. On the left, you'll note that the age ranges from less than 40 to 85 and over. I want you to hone in on the, the ankle mobility. Normal is around 20 degrees of dorsiflexion. As you age, it will decrease down to 7 degrees, according to this study by Amundsen. I have found in my practice over the years that if they get seven degrees, they, they're they're fairly fortunate. Most of them have less than seven, and uh, and if they do have, if they can even get it to neutral, uh, some of them are fairly fortunate. Next, after range of motion, I will assess strength. We do a manual muscle test. We grade the test from zero to five. Zero being flaccid, five being normal. Fair would be three, three over five, and that means that you can raise the extremity against gravity without resistance. So we go from zero, one, two, three, four, and five, or zero, one being uh, trace, two is poor, three is fair, four is good, and five is normal. That should be strength that decreases with age especially the hip extensors, abductors, quads, and the anterior tibialis muscle. And all of this would lead to falls in the elderly if they are significantly weaker than normal. So thus far, I've, I've talked about, uh, in my assessment, I've talked about the uh, assessing posture, um, range of motion, or flexibility, I've talked about their, how we assess strength, and next we will uh, assess their balance. There are five tests that we use. We don't use them all, but there are five tests that we can use to assess one's balance. The first is the timed up and go, or the tug test. Second is the Tenetti assessment tool. Third, Berg balance scale. Fourth, the Romberg test, and number five would be the functional reach. The first is the timed up and go. It identifies the intrinsic risk factors such as extremity weakness, gait disorders, and poor vision. You perform the procedure three times, then you calculate an average. We have them seated in this chair, we have them stand, walk 10 feet, turn around, and come back and sit down. So I will explain to you what I look for at each stage of this test. Then we will demonstrate the test. First of all, I will have the, the older person sit in a straight back chair and observe how he or she is seated. I look for slumping posture or leaning towards one side. Next, I ask the, the person to stand. Is, this, is the motion smooth? 
Does it take more than one try? Does the person need to use his or her hands to push up off the seat? This maneuver assesses leg muscle strength. Now this next part is not part of the tug test, but it is something that I observe and I will ask them to do on a frequent basis. I will ask the person to stand, remain standing with his or her eyes open and as still as possible. Then I will instruct the individual to stand with his or her eyes closed. Is the person able to stand without swaying? Next, you tell the person to open his or her eyes and walk 10 feet, turn and walk back to the chair. I observe the person's gait, their speed and balance. If the person is impaired, you'll observe a broad base gait, small steps while turning, staggering or limping. Upon returning to the chair, you instruct the person to turn and sit. Is the person's motion smooth or does the person fall into the chair? So once again, with the test, you have them seated. You, on the command go, they stand. They walk 10 feet, turn, come back to the chair, and sit down. How I interpret this, if they can do that in 10 seconds or less, they're normal. If it takes them 20 seconds or less, they have good mobility. They can probably go out alone and they can probably be mobile without an assistive device. If it takes them 30 seconds less or more, then they have problems. They shouldn't go outside alone and they probably require an assistive device, a cane, a walker, whatever. So right now I am going to demonstrate with Erica the tug test. Now we're going to demonstrate how the tug test works. So I'll have Erica stand, walk 10 feet, turn around and go back and sit down. And I'm going to time her. On the command go, she will stand. Are you ready? Go. That was quick. That was about nine seconds. Like I said, anybody who, 10 seconds or less, they're normal. Oh, normal. The uh, great 10 to, 10 to 20 seconds, they have a moderate risk of falling. Anything greater than 20 or around 30 seconds, they're at a high risk of falling. Next. I would, I want to talk about the Tenetti assessment tool. It measures a patient's gait and balance. The test is scored on the patient's ability to perform specific tasks. We score on a three-point scale, i.e. from zero to two. The gait component is 12 points max, and the balance component is 16 points max. So there's 28 total points. And what it does, we assess how they sit, their sitting balance, how they rise from a chair, 
attempts to rise? What's their balance like once they're standing? Then we assess their standing balance. If we give them a nudge, how do they do? How do they react? Stand with your eyes closed, turn 360 degrees, and how they sit down. Those are the balance activities that we assess. The the gait activities are once we tell them to start walking, is there any hesitancy when they start? What's their step length and height? Foot clearance, step symmetry, step continuity, their path, how their trunk is stable or not, if it is stable or not, and their walking time. Remember when we walk, we assess is their step length and time equal? So once we assess the uh, their gait and so forth, we add the scores. And if they score less than 18, then they're at a high risk of falling. From 19 to 23, they have a moderate risk of falling. Greater than 24, they have a lower risk of falling. So 24 out of 28, they, they're pretty stable. Next is the Berg balance scale. It measures a patient's balance. There are 14 balance items safe for the elderly patients. Scoring is on a five-point scale ranging from zero to four. Some of the tests that we use for uh, the Berg, how do they sit, uh, go from sit to stand, standing unsupported, sitting unsupported, standing to sitting, how they transfer, how do they stand with their eyes closed, standing with feet together, reaching forward with outstretched arm, retrieving objects from floor, turning to look behind, turning 360 degrees and so forth. There are 14 items. We assess each one on a scale of zero to four and add those points. If they score at least 41 out of 56 total points, they have a low fall risk. 21 to 40, they have a medium or a moderate chance of falling. And if they score under 20, they have a higher risk of falling. And next is the Romberg test. This is the test I learned several years ago. I, I think there's a, there's a Sharp and Romberg and so forth. But this particular test, I have people stand with their feet together, arms folded over the chest, and eyes are closed. You observe the patient's balance for 15 seconds. If the patient is unable to stand, first of all, they better be able to stand with their eyes uh, open in this position before you ever try to have them stand with their eyes closed. But if they can stand with their eyes open, then you have them close their eyes. If they can stand for 15 seconds, uh, then they have a negative Romberg. If they can't, then their Romberg is classified as positive. Once again, it's inappropriate for patients unable to stand or unable to maintain standing balance with their eyes open. That's the Romberg test. Finally, the functional reach test. You stand erect next to a, a, a say, a yardstick or some measure, measuring device. You stand with your shoulders level, raise both arms, 
and then lower the one opposite, the one next to the, uh, the, the measuring device, you have them reach as far as they can without losing their balance. If they can only reach one to six inches, they have a high risk of falling. If they reach six to ten inches, they have a moderate risk of falling. Anything over ten inches, they have a low risk of falling. With a functional reach test, they raise both arms, keep their shoulders level, come up just a little, there you go, right? About 10 inches. She would lower the opposite arm, and then she, you would have them reach as far as possible without losing their balance. So go ahead and reach. She can come up to 27, 28 inches. So that's a, a reach of 18 inches. They're more at risk of falling if they can only reach one to six inches. Six to 10 inches, they have a moderate risk of falling. If they can reach greater than 10 inches, they have a low risk of falling. So these are five assessment tools that we can use to, to um, assess their balance and see if they are at a high moderate or low risk of falling. Once we assess our residents, we establish a therapeutic rehab program to increase stability, their mobility, their strength, and improve their balance, which will lead to increased function in hopes to prevent further falls we can also assess for assistive devices as well. So the first treatment strategy that we use is an electrical simulation device called PENS, Pattern Electrical Neuromuscular Simulation. The PENS is a form of stimulation that replicates the correct firing patterns of muscles in triphasic, biphasic, or functional patterns. It increases strength using only mild muscle twitch contractions. Traditional exercise focuses on muscle strengthening. The PENS enhances neural drive. We had a patient oh, three or four weeks ago that did the tug test. Now he was cognitively, he, he was impaired but he still was able to use his walker and stand and do the tug test. I think it took him 30 seconds or more. So he was impaired, his balance was impaired and he was at a risk for falls. We noted too that he did not have a very uh, good heel strike, his step length and time were decreased. So we put the pens, the electrodes on his lower leg for 15 minutes. Afterwards, we did the tug again. Once again, the, the, the time was not, did not improve that much. But his heel strike was much improved. His step length and time were much more equal. So it does work. We also use the, the pens on, on the core muscles, the, the abdomen, the, the back, to help increase core strength.
Another strategy that we use would be the flexibility exercises. Once we assess someone and if they are tight or they have decreased uh, flexibility, we will show them some exercises to increase that flexibility. Flexibility is the ability to move a muscle and joint through a motion easily without significant stress or strain on muscle or bone. If they have tight hamstrings, we will do the runner stretch. You'll note in the picture that the one leg is straight, one leg is bent. The straight leg will stretch the gastroc, the bent leg will stretch the soleus. We need to stretch both the gastroc and the soleus to improve their flexibility. Hip circles for hip tightness. The elderly quite often are very taut in the hip muscles, so we just have them do hip rotation clockwise and counterclockwise to increase the hip mobility. Next, strength. We want to increase someone's, the, uh, the patient's strength. Weakness in the core and lower extremities can be very be a very important factor in loss of balance. The foot and lower leg strength is often the key culprit. So once again, we try to increase core and lower extremity strength. Some of the exercises that we do to strengthen the uh, ankle, we do heel and toe raises. I prefer to do the heel raises because most of them are, have uh, heel cord tightness. So when you do a toe raise, you're just strengthening the, uh, the gastrosoleus muscle. So you want to also increase the strength of the anterior tibialis by doing heel raises. If they're unable to stand, they can use a counter, they can use their walker if they have one, or any stable device. Or they can sit and just have them keep their heel on the floor and tap, continually tap, and and to strengthen the anterior tibialis muscle. We also want to strengthen their quads and their, their glutes, their gluteal, gluteus maximus. These are just isometric exercises they can do when they're watching TV. If they're, I always tell people if there's a commercial on TV, have them tighten these muscles and hold them five to ten seconds. Do four or five repetitions. You don't have to do a lot of these exercises. Most people won't do it anyway. So you just try to encourage them to do something. But the key is to make sure they breathe while they're doing these exercises. So if they would just tighten the muscles, breathe two or three times into the nose, out to the mouth, slowly, and then relax. Do that four or five times. This will help them. And sometimes they, they have a hard time doing a quad set, so what I do is just raise the heel off the, off the floor, I mean off the, uh, the bed or whatever surface they're on, and just have them hold so they get a feel of how the kneecap moves anteriorly. The glute set, just have them squeeze their buttocks, tell them to put a dollar bill or a credit card in their crack and have them hold it. And they will be able to tight, do that. And uh, that's what they have to do, just tighten those muscles. 
as, as tight as they can, hold them for a few seconds and relax. Now, strengthening the hip flexors, extensors, and abductors, especially the extensors and abductors. <laughs> this picture shows them kicking forward and backward, side to side. I like to do a more controlled movement, and uh, I will demonstrate that at this time. You note on this, this uh, slide, the hip flexion, extension, abduction, and adduction, all they're doing primarily is just kicking out and side like so, forward, backward, sideways. I like a more of a controlled movement. I like to have them touch their heel and go back toe. So you're getting your hip flexor, hip extensor when you do this. And that's more of a, of a, a gait pattern. You go push off of the toe and you land on the heel. You also strengthen the anterior tibialis when you do that as well. So you're strengthening the hip extensor, hip flexor, and anterior tip. And then when you do a uh, strengthen your abductors, instead of just kicking like so, I usually do a tap, tap, or alternate tap, tap, one side, then the other. You can vary the angle. You can go forward a little, laterally, or lateral posteriorly to get different fibers of that muscle. So you just alternate back and forth, back, back. And if they have to hang on to something, let them hang on to a counter, their, their assistive device, whatever's stable. When you do these exercises, um, especially the, the anterior, or the forward and backward, uh, you're not only strengthening the hip flexors and extensors, but you're also strengthening the anterior tib, and it's the normal way to walk. So you try to be as specific as possible with exercises uh, and be specific towards uh, the function that you're trying to accomplish. Next, we will go over some treatment strategies for, for the balance, balance activities. When you're dealing with balance, you proceed from less to more complex, from sitting to standing, and static to dynamic. The progression is as follows. There's one, uh, first of all, you start with seated on an even surface, not an uneven surface. So you start with a seated, uh, seated at an even surface with your eyes open, then with your eyes closed, and if they can do that, then give them a nudge, a sternal nudge or a postural uh, uh, stress and see if they can maintain that. If they can do it on an even surface, put them on an uneven surface with their eyes open, eyes closed, and then give them a, a little nudge or a challenge. Once you have, have them seated, then you go to standing. Double leg standing initially with your eyes open, eyes closed, and then give them postural stress again. Some weight shifting laterally and anteriorly and posteriorly. 
Then try to have them do a single leg stand. That should be leg stand with their eyes open, eyes closed, and postural stress. Most people can't stand on one leg, so I don't concern myself too much with this, this particular exercise. But if they can, you always progress from standing with their eyes open to their eyes closed. Always give them challenges with their eyes open or eyes closed. Always make it a challenge for these people to, to improve. Then we go to surface changes. All standing drills can be advanced by changing the inclination and type of surfaces. We start with a, uh, for instance, tile or something smooth. And then you progress to have them do the exercises on, on carpet. And if they can do that, go to foam padding or the balance board. Once again, challenge them through different activities and different surfaces. Next, let me talk about some of the balance exercises that I will uh, have them do. And then I will go over each one and then we will demonstrate each one to you. Number one is the Romberg standing. We do a test, the Romberg test, so I also use that particular test as an exercise. I do lateral and diagonal rocking. Marching, walking in all directions, cervical movements, both stationary and during ambulation, semi-tandem and tandem standing, stork standing or one leg standing balance exercise, the karaoke or braiding, figure eights, circles, and then tandem walking. Again, the two balance activities that I find most difficult for, for the elderly are the stork standing and the tandem walking. I will demonstrate each one of these to you. Finally, the, uh, the balance exercises that I have people do. Number one, Romberg standing. I explained to you that we stand, uh, the Romberg test is you stand with the feet together, cross your arms and close your eyes and stand there for 15 seconds. What I have people do is bring their feet as close as possible. When you do the initial evaluation, if they can only bring in, say, four or five inches and stand without crossing their arms, then they, they don't have the best balance. But what you do is you gradually bring their feet closer together as an exercise until they can actually put their feet together. Then have them cross their arms with their eyes open. Then you have them close their eyes and, uh, and see if they can do that for 15 seconds. So that's the Romberg standing. Lateral and diagonal rocking. This is lateral rocking. You, you're doing this for balance. You're standing on one leg, then the other leg. You're also strengthening the abductors back and forth. You try to have them hold it as long as possible. And then the diagonal rocking is 
I call it diagonal, it's more anterior, posterior, but you just rock back and forth. You're strengthening the hip flexor here, hip extensor here, as you're standing on one leg. And all we're trying to do is mimic people to, or get people to, to walk correctly standing on their leg during their stance phase. Okay, marching, you start marching with small steps, equal cadence. I use a metronome quite frequently just to, so they have equal steps. So it's tick, 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 tick. I don't care how fast or how slow that metronome is going, you want them to step equally. And when they're walking, every time you hear the tick, they should be landing on the heel. Then you can have them gradually pick up the knees a little higher. And hold, and hold, or use their opposite hand to leg, right to left, left to right. That's how you walk. You always walk with opposite arm, opposite leg. So you hold, and hold. So that helps their balance and their strength. Walking in all directions, I have them walk forward, and I have them walk backwards. I have them walk sideways, one way, then the other. Cervical movements, both stationary and during ambulation. Anytime that they can move their head or move their eyes, they're challenging their balance. So when you do all these tests, you can do the Romberg test. If they can do that well, then you have them move their head from side to side, up and down. And same with the, the marching. If they're marching, have them move their head from side to side, up and down. Anything to challenge their balance. And also during ambulation, which is very difficult, but as they walk, have them move their head from side to side. And have them walk backwards, move their head from side to side. Okay, next, semi-tandem and tandem standing. Semi-tandem, one foot halfway up on the other. Once again, stand with your arms at the side. You can also make it more difficult by having them cross their arms and then have them close their eyes if it's no problem. Then you would do the other foot halfway up on, or vary the, different, the, uh, the distance. Start backwards a little, up, up a little further. It also will strengthen the, the hip extensor on the rear leg, or the, the, uh, the hip, or the gluteus medius and maximus, on the rear leg when you stand like that. So if they are weak, try to emphasize that particular exercise to strengthen that muscle. Next, well, no, then the tandem standing, and most people can't do this very well, but that's just standing with one foot in front of the other. And then you cross your arms, and then you close your eyes. And that's not easy for me. But it's, uh, that's a difficult, a difficult uh, uh, exercise, but if they can do it, especially if they can just do it with their eyes open and use their arms for balance. Stork standing or one leg standing balance, they just stand with their one leg up. You can put it down just a little or have them raise it as high as they can, as long as they can maintain their good, a good balance.
And then you do the other leg. And you hold it for as long as they can. And I usually time them. And these are good uh, objective tests. And just annotate those, uh, the time on, a, on a, your note. And hopefully if they can only do it one or two seconds initially, maybe after we do practice these exercises, they can do it for several seconds. Next is the karaoke or the braiding. Uh, this is where I learned when I played football many years ago. Just cross your... I start out putting one leg in front of the other, but then you progress to forward and then behind. Forward and behind. Figure eights or circles. Figure eights. Take two objects, put them at a distance apart, and have them move in a figure eight pattern. And as they get better at that, bring those two objects closer together and make it a little more difficult for them. Go one direction, then the other direction. And same with circles. Start out with a large diameter and gradually decrease the diameter of the circle. So they're going counter or clockwise, then counterclockwise. Go change the speed. There is the speed with these, these people. Go slow initially and gradually increase the speed. Like I said, always make everything a challenge for, the, for uh, your patients. And finally, I have tandem walking. One of the exercises that they have a hard time doing, but just I'm trying to prepare these people for Saturday nights. So you just walk heel to toe. And then if you can do that, you go backwards. And see how that, but most of them can't, can't do this exercise very well. That and the one leg standing balance, they have a hard time. Uh, with. But everything is a progression. And if they can do most of these, then they have pretty good balance. And uh, they probably are at a less risk of fall. I am Erica Miller, um, occupational therapist at Lantern Park Nursing and Rehab and Director of Rehab. Um, Bob and I work together and we often have um, the same patients. So when we receive doctor's orders, that gives us liberty to tag team and work on goals and planning with the individuals. Um, as an occupational therapist, I value the input of physical therapists like Bob to help improve the functional activities of daily living for mutual patients that we have. For example, um, there's a gentleman that in brainstorming for this I was thinking would be a great example to have, um, and we'll call him Chuck to protect his name. Um, Bob and I started seeing him a few months ago in the fall he had a C-spine fusion, um, secondary to pain and nerve impingement. His surgeon's hope was that he would be able to increase his function and reduce his falls significantly. The biggest issue for this gentleman was he was falling often at home in his apartment. So once uh, Chuck came to us, you know, after receiving doctor's orders, uh, they gave us the opportunity to start doing objective measurement tests, specifically the ones that Bob has just demonstrated. Um, and the importance of these tests is they have objective scores, so that can help us measure improvement. Medicare loves improvement, and so do we. It's nice to have numbers so we can see if things are, are obviously improving. Um, the application of this in occupational therapy is in looking through the physical therapist notes about specific patients that can be huge indicators to us that that is a, a much higher chance of them improving in self-care skills, um, IADLs, which are instrumental activities of daily living tasks as well. Um, besides knowing that 
they themselves are hearing their scores improving, that can Im improve their self-confidence and be a motivating factor as well. Um, as we find in therapy, if the goals that we're working on with our patients don't have a meaningful connection to them, then they won't be as likely to improve. Um, in reference to Chuck, keep in mind that he is a boisterous, outgoing, um, speaks his mind individual, 82 years old, a retired coach, so do this, do that, and so we got to um, educate him on etiquette as well, the thank yous and please, which were reminders, but he appreciated and it was always fun to work with him. Um, and seeing his plateau by about week four, we knew his goal was to go home to his apartment. So in the back of our minds, we're thinking, okay, in our, our planning with the individual and with their families, what is going to be best for him because he wanted to go back and operate uh, at his level before walking with a four-wheeled walker because his balance scores, his self-care scores, his transfers weren't proving that he could go back safely. We had to have you know, a heart-to-heart -heart discussion with Chuck and his family. This is where we're at, Chuck. What, what do you think? Uh, you know, If you go back, can you have help 24 hours a day? He said, absolutely not. I'm going back no matter what. So with that input, we, um, we found ourselves being creative, trying to honor his request. So we, we transitioned our goals and decided, okay, let's just let's start um, changing our goals in the direction of doing all your transfers from wheelchair level because these are your balance scores. His tug test, you know, it was always greater than 10 seconds. So his, his risk for falling was moderate to high. His functional reach test was typically less than six inches, which is moderate to high fall risk. So in explaining to him, he said, okay, you know, aside from that, what else can we do? So we started practicing his transfers from wheelchair to toilet, wheelchair to bed, bed to wheelchair. And he consistently was showing um, improvement as far as being able to transfer safely without loss of balance, without uh, you know concern of teetering, tipping his chair. So it was a huge um, sigh of relief for us and for him because it's always encouraging to us as well as the patient to be able to you know award them their return home if possible. So before we really honored his request, we said, let's do a home visit check. Let's have your family pick you up. We'll follow you there. We'll do a home visit to determine how you are in your own personal environment uh, from wheelchair level. He said, okay, if that's what it takes, because keep in mind, in the back of Chuck's mind, his motivating factor as well was his 90-year-old girlfriend, who he got to have all meals with, um, who lived down the hall. So he had reason to get back. So um, we said, okay. So at the home visit, he did, he did well. In fact, he did excellent. Um, and within the next week, he was able to return home. Um, this is a great example of an individual who plateaued with the scores of the test like we had showed you, but there are ways that we get to be creative and redirect our goals so they can go home um, and return to their life as much and as normal as possible. With Chuck, it was a modified independence, but he didn't care because he still could go to the bathroom. He still could get um, in and out of his wheelchair. He could still do a little doodling in the kitchen um, by himself. He has a bath aid at as we speak, I spoke with him last week, he continues to have those pieces of assistance um, and he isn't walking on his own. If he does, he has family or aides that come to his home and walk with him. So his life is very fulfilled. It looks different than what he thought it would, but his life is rich and he and his girlfriend continue to move on. So um, to continue our presentation, Bob will 
uh, further explain a couple more points. Thank you. Finally, we will use and I will evaluate to see if a, a, a patient needs an assistive device. That is a standard walker, a wheeled walker, either a two-wheeled walker or a four-wheeled walker with a seat, a hemi walker, quad canes, either large or small base, or a single point cane. In conclusion, balance is the key. The risk factors for falling will be reduced by improving their posture, increasing their flexibility and strength, thus improving their static and dynamic sitting and standing balance, ensuring safety with all functional activities. We speak of balance. We want to balance our lives spiritually, emotionally, physically. We want to keep our spine balanced. If that's in good balance, then our muscles are balanced. If we can balance most everything, we are less likely to have a fall. And safety is the most important thing with all, all patients. Thank you very much.